I don't know about you, but I'm weary. I'm weary of political ads. I'm weary of death. I'm weary of the pandemic. I'm weary of the constant change that seems to pervade my life and the life of those I love. Every day we are inundated with so much. A recent article claimed that our surge capacity is depleted, and all I could say was, yes, dear Jesus, yes. A surge capacity, in case you're wondering, is our ability to meet new challenges, new disasters, and it is gone. There is no more gas in the tank to adapt or to change. And change is being demanded of us. Not only in the ways that we do work and school and social life and grocery shopping and working out, but also in the ways we think and the ways we speak. We have to face the truth of our complacency with racist systems. We have to push beyond fabricated yet stronger than ever political boundaries that are doing a really good job of separating us. And we are being asked to reimagine just about everything we do. It wears on a person. And when I feel this weary, I reach into Scripture to both understand myself and my fellow human beings and to understand God in the midst of the current moment. And let's be honest, I also look to find hope and strength to face the day. But Matthew isn't very interested in my weary soul today. There is no feel-good moment here in this parable of Jesus's that answers the question of his authority. This parable, unlike so many others, is a clear indictment of the Pharisees and other leaders and is a clear indictment on us. So if you heard Pastor Stanton preach last week, you know that this comes after Jesus has entered the holy city to the cries of Hosanna. So we're in the early days of that last week of Jesus' life, and he is not letting up. The time of questioning his authority is past, and the time to remember whose authority the leaders are working from is indeed here. This won't be the last clash between Jesus and the Pharisees. If you skim through the next chapters of Matthew, you quickly realize that the heat is on. And as the green arrow says, they have failed their city, or in this case, their God. As the Pharisees' questions get more pointed in an attempt to justify their own actions, Jesus' answers get more and more clear and will eventually lead him to the cross. In this parable, the the lines that are drawn are clear. The Pharisees are those tenants. Jesus is the Son And God is the landowner. Now this would not have been new imagery to anyone in the temple listening. In Isaiah, vineyard image and language is used to describe the relationship between God and Israel. And in Isaiah 5, we have this love song where Israel is compared to a vineyard. And despite God's loving care, the love song takes a turn, The vineyard that is Israel brings forth wild grapes of injustice and distress. And when we get to verse 7, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. 
He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. And the psalmists, the psalmists use vineyard language too. So the Pharisees, they would have known what Jesus was getting at. They had these stories ringing in their ears. They knew the indictment being held against them. They are the tenants who will be replaced. And we see in this telling of the stories that the Pharisees see it, but their focus, their focus is on the crowd, not on what God is calling them to see. It's clear that they have made their power and influence over people their God, instead of the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaiah. I said those in the wrong order. They are unwilling to anger the crowds and unwilling to concede that perhaps Jesus has a word from God for them. The authority of God, never one to reside in the places of power for long, has lost its influence over the Pharisees. Unless we get too comfortable talking about a story told over 2,000 years ago to leaders and followers of God back then as if it has nothing to do with us, Let us be reminded that we are the tenants, and Jesus is the Son, and God is the landowner. And this is, of course, not new imagery for us. Not only do we have scripture that we can all read in our own languages and a multitude of translations to choose from so that we can understand it more fully, and when we don't, there's the internet, We hear over and over and over again Jesus and then the followers of Jesus using this vineyard image. And we hear in song and preaching and stories of our own that what we have is not ours, but indeed is God's. And we are asked to care for it. So if the Pharisees are being asked, being challenged to realign themselves with God, to hear the new word of, that Jesus has for them, are we also not being asked and challenged with the same thing? This parable, this encounter, is an indictment of us as much as the Pharisees. It is a call to look deeper into ourselves and ask who has authority over us. What crowds are we allowing to sway us from speaking the truth we know in Jesus? In what ways are we encountering injustice with the message of justice and righteousness we know in God? Or are we just perpetuating injustice? Isaiah verse 7 can easily say, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house and people of First Lutheran Church, and they are God's pleasant planting, God expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. All we have to do is open our news app on our phones and see the truth in that prophecy. All the things that I listed early about the wary, that's, let me try that again. All those things I listed that are wearing me and us down, They are the very things that we are called to face and to tear down. When people chant Black Lives Matter, 
It is for us to ask the deeper questions, to wade into the painful past of slavery in our country and work for the healing of the wounds caused by the continued oppression of Native people and people of color. Not to work to justify the places and people of power that continue to seek to oppress. When we see homeless people with all their things in bags and carts hanging around Cameron Park, it is for us to ask why they can't find affordable housing or the medical treatment they need. Not to placate ourselves with, well, they just want to be homeless. Or to block attempts to provide them with shelter because that would somehow decrease our property value. When we see the earth dying and hear the reports of continued melting of the ice caps and the rising sea temperatures and air and water quality choked with pollution that we create, it is for us to challenge ourselves enough to make changes to our behavior instead of resting on the excuse that it's just the way the earth rolls. It'll get better. And when a pandemic sweeps our world and people are dying at higher rates than all other communicable diseases put together, it is for us to do everything within our power to stop it for the sake of our neighbor's life and not insist that our individual rights somehow supersede the rights of others. Friends, we are a people set apart, charged with the job to love God and love neighbor in ways that always seeks the better for others. And we have failed again and again and again. We have allowed the crowds to sway us. We have forgotten that it is God who is our authority. And we make decisions that serve ourselves and our power and not God's. But in Philippians 3, Paul reminds us that we are found in Christ. As such, we are given the gift of confession and of forgiveness. We are assured through the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ that we are indeed forgiven. And in that confession, we then leave behind the denial of the ways that we have failed, and we embrace the truth about ourselves so that we may rise to bear good fruit in the world. We trust in the truth of the gospel, that we are loved and we are forgiven, and then we get up and we try again. We trust Jesus in the power of his resurrection. We trust our God who is in the business of rebuilding what has been torn down. That line that we heard in this parable about the rejected stone that finally becomes the cornerstone, it's usually interpreted as a reference to Jesus. But as Matt Skinner, a theologian of our church, said, I also see it as an apt description of church when we're willing to face the truth of our own complicities, to acknowledge our flaws with unvarnished honesty, and to be willing to undergo brokenness and then be remade again in Christ for the sake of the world. Amen.